Welcome to the York County Economic Alliance podcast series produced by Bold Creative Media. As York County's official Chamber of Commerce and Economic Development Organization, we're here as a resource center to connect you to specialized funding, business services, advocacy programs, and events to help you and your business thrive. Hello, everyone. This is Kevin Triber with the York County Economic Alliance with another series in our podcasts. And today we are speaking with uh, an incredibly interesting uh, individual, Ms. Jennifer Foxworthy, uh, who owns Inspirationally Speaking. And the title, really this kind of the subject, the theme, the title of today's podcast is The Journey of a Thriver and How to Find Purpose from the Pain After Surviving Domestic Violence. Now, as we sit here today and record this podcast, it is October. Every day this month, it will be October, which is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Um, just recently, to kick off First Friday in downtown York, uh, myself and 299 other men walked a mile in women's high heels, uh, very uncomfortably and embarrassingly, but we raised $100,000 for the York YWCA and their Access York and all of the domestic violence programs. So while a listener may be listening to this any other month throughout the year, we want to remind folks that obviously this month in October, we're focusing in on domestic violence and the, 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 the scourge of, of domestic violence and really the broad impact that it has, not just on the victim, um, but on the family members, the workplace, employers, friends, uh, all of those things. And that's certainly well beyond the month of October. This is an important topic that we want people to be conscious of and to focus on. So with that, Jennifer, uh, thanks so much for coming in today and thanks for spending time with us. It is an absolute pleasure to be here with you, Kevin, and support the York County Economic Alliance. That's wonderful, and thank you so much. I know this is a this is can be a really sobering topic sometimes, but we wanted to take it in stride. and And I know you've got quite a background and, and experience with this. So tell us a little bit about your background and, and your history, and and really what kind of brings you to the the woman that you are today. Thank you, Kevin, for this opportunity. I served our country for 21.7 years in the United States Navy, and then now I am a motivational speaker. So that is my second career, my profession, and I'm a serial entrepreneur. I'm a corporate trainer for College of Southern Maryland. I started my nonprofit, Unstoppable You Ministries. I have a conference that's currently on a three-state tour, Unstoppable You Conference. I'm an author, blogger and everything in between. And why this conversation is so near and dear to me is that I am a domestic violence survivor and thriver myself. And I experienced mine while I was in the service, service member one, service member, intimate partner abuse. That's an amazing story in and of itself, and thank you. It goes without saying, but I'll certainly say thank you for your service to our country. You're welcome. Uh, and thanks for being here today as a survivor to talk about your story. We know that um, you know, it's it's challenging for any individual to talk about that that's been a victim of any of just about anything, let alone domestic violence, certainly in the service. Um, so thank you for your willingness to speak about it. And we know that's really um, one of the greatest contributors to the solution is just being willing to talk about it, uh, to destigmatize it, Absolutely. and to break taboo and really be willing to have an open discussion and recognize that some people don't know everything about this, but that's why we're having this important discussion. And I'll just say that men clearly need to be part of the solution too. 
Um, Absolutely. Because we all uh, have a mom and we all may have sisters or wives or just friends of ours who are female. So in any event, um, so thank you for your service. So I do have to say 21.7 years in the Navy. Is it true? Did you get to see the world? Pretty much. I've been to over 27 different countries. Um, been to 49 out of the 50 states. I've literally driven around the United States. The only state that I haven't been to is North Dakota, and it's <laughs> off of uh, 70 as you go from Maine to Washington State. So an illustrious career. Yeah. I went in right after high school in 1991. I graduated from William Penn Senior High School, so born and raised right here in York City. Um I just never would have realized that I would be a part of these statistics. Yeah. And according to the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence, one in four women and one in seven men will be in a severe a physical abusive relationship in their lifetime. And I didn't think it's it could be It's staggering, isn't it? It, it is. It really is when you think it about is. it. Um, just looking around the room for the viewers or the listeners that obviously can't see, I mean, but that, that statistic would mean that there's probably one female in here that would likely have been in an abusive situation and one man, one man. So it's frightening when you think of your immediate nuclear family or your immediate close circle of friends that given those statistics, the likelihood is one of them has been in, involved in an abusive situation. And so, we don't talk about it. Right. And that's really part of today is really to have that discussion and let people hear your story, but also hear about, you know, what are some of these solutions that we're bringing to the table and how can we raise awareness and obviously support the programs that are out there. We will use this quick opportunity as well for your county, um, Access York, incredible organization housed mm-hmm. within the York YWCA, which does amazing work helping victims of domestic violence. We are just going to plug their phone number that if you are a victim of domestic violence, uh, have a friend or a family member uh, that is a victim, please call uh, Access York. They're 24-7 line, 1-800-262-8444. Again, you can Google it. I'm sure you can find it uh, wherever, 1-800-262-8444. And again, thank you to the YWCA and Access York for all the work they do. So if we try to relate this to listeners uh, today, Jennifer, so just broadly, how do you define domestic violence? Domestic violence is a pattern of control, and it comes in many forms of economical Mm-hmm. Sexual, physical, mental, emotional, verbal. And I know for me growing up, I thought it was just physical and that it happened to weak minority women. And mm-hmm. here I am a, a, a minority, but I thought I was too smart mm-hmm. and educated that I would not allow someone to put their hands on me. But from an, a dysfunctional home environment, being bullied in high school, it became a recipe of low self-esteem that I suppressed, and it but it showed in many other ways. Poor decision-making, promiscuity, that led me into relationships that I had no business being in, and especially staying in. And for our armed forces, I try to shed light because we're supposed to be strong, we're defending our country, but we are part of these statistics of the one in four and the one in seven. But we have to suffer in silence. And especially if me, I was a Naval Air Crewman, which is a step below your Navy SEAL. Mm-hmm. 
So when you are in, when I was in an elite category or community of Caucasian men, I definitely couldn't show any weakness. Mm -hmm. I was already struggling to fit in where I wasn't wanted. Change was hard to come by. And it's interesting that you also define it, and I think it's important in our society, again, to not stigmatize it as, well, it's stereotypically uh, one individual putting hands on another individual. That's certainly it. Um, But it is emotional. It's psychological. Um, So how do you, uh, and again, to the the listeners, what they can't see right now is that you could probably take me down with one punch. And so how do you, (laughs) as an independent, incredibly strong, one step below Navy SEAL uh, individual in our armed services, how do you even find yourself in that? And how, how difficult was it for you emotionally or psychologically to, to break that? Because it's, we had training in the service once a year mm-hmm. in October, but the way it was geared, it, it felt like it was directed towards the Navy spouse, the civilian, and not something that a service member's will be able to seek the resources as well. And again, I'm thinking in my mind that it's physical. When I got into my relationship with my ex-boyfriend, I just knew the red flags were there, the name calling, especially degrading our mutual friends. But within the first six months of us being together, I thought that I the possibility that I could be pregnant And when he came over, I was going to tell him. When I did, he hauled off without warning and punched me in my stomach. So that was the first physical. But unfortunately, because I wasn't educated about domestic violence, after arguing in the street, we went up to the bedroom, we had makeup sex, and I didn't realize that we completed the three-phase cycle of domestic violence. You have your honeymoon phase, the escalation, and then the full-blown abuse. But you believe the babies, I'm sorry, I'll never do it again, the tears and everything else. Being a Naval Air Crewman, Kevin, what I wanted to share is that due to my training, I was better prepared to be a prisoner of war than to deal with domestic violence. And when I say that, I could, if our plane went down behind enemy lines, I knew to, how to survive off the land. I knew how to get to a safe house, communicate with the locals. I was a sharpshooter in the M16 rifle. I was a marksman in a shotgun and a nine millimeter. So here I am. Um, and if there was a prop- propaganda video um, taping me, there were certain gestures that we were taught to communicate to the people in Pen- at the Pentagon, whoever, to know, okay, Jennifer, she's signaling to us that her right shoulder is broken or she's being fed. I had extensive training. I could even swim a mile in 69 minutes. That was back in the mid-90s when I went through my training. But can you imagine swimming a mile, 69 minutes in the ocean? Just all different varieties of training. But I didn't have the training or the knowledge to recognize what I was in and the resources 
and to get out. But low self-esteem is a pathway to self-destructive behaviors. And that's what I had, and it was suppressed. So I was facing a professional war trying to fit in where I didn't belong, also a personal war. That's that's an incredible story. Um, so how, when did you realize it? And was it, did it, was it a process by which you had to undergo to come to the conclusion that it was abusive and you had to get out? Was it, you know, speaking of those signs, those telltale signs that you're taught and you're trained in the military to send a signal to someone that's watching, were you sending signals to family, to friends? Um, and is that, if you relate that to, you know, no, there's, you know, no story is identical and right. each one is a unique situation. But there are common themes and you're, you're hitting on several of them. Um, so I guess relate it to broadly to some individual that's in a circumstance right now. Are there telltale signs to look for as family or friends? Um, and what is the mental process by which you had to go through to break, break away from it? Unfortunately, for um, there was a pattern, but it wasn't like, okay, on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, he was going to call me out my name. It was random, but it was there. So initially, it happened so gradually that I couldn't pick up on the signs. I just knew because of his excess drinking, it isolated me from my friends because I didn't want to take him around them. And he didn't want to be around them. So I wanted to spend my time with him. Well, that meant that I wasn't spending a whole lot of time with my my friends. So the isolation was there. The random slaps across the face. Then it escalated as the years, the name calling. And especially towards the end when someone can look you straight in the eye who professes that they love you and say, damn, you're ugly. So when I was growing up, it was common, unfortunately, for other ethnicities to point out my dark skin, my full lips, my kinky hair. It wasn't considered attractive. So these were the things that I already had low self-esteem about. When I was in high school, I had three African-American boys point out these very same features. So that's where the bullying came. In my mind, I'm the ugliest thing walking the face of the earth. So when you're in an abusive relationship and someone says that they love you, they want to be with you, you hold on to that because I felt I'm the ugliest thing facing this, you know, walking the face of this earth. But this one, he wants to be with me. He seems sincere. But unfortunately, their ulterior motives are not in sync with what true love is but we hold on to their word. We just want it to stop. And especially in the service, I had a a high clearance. He had a clearance. You don't want to jeopardize someone's career. Mm -hmm. So these are things that had to take into consideration. We just want it to stop. And what was so interesting is I wanted him to make me an honest woman. We were shacking up, fornicating, playing house. And I wanted to have a family, but I thank God for unanswered prayers. I will go back for your listeners when my ex-boyfriend did punch me in the stomach. Luckily, I was not pregnant at that time. Mm -hmm. But just to think that someone would have the nerve to do so. Right. 
So just the low self-esteem, the holding on to somebody who wants to spend time with you, no matter what that looks like, and because the pattern wasn't specific, but it was there, and it was more the name calling. I remember studying for an advancement exam, and he would turn the lights off on me, and I'm trying to study my books with the sunlight coming through the shades. Mm. You know, so just little head games like that. Right. And then the escalation of his drinking and things. So interestingly enough, in my prior career, I served in the legislature for a while and had a piece of legislation, and this was where I really learned a heck of a lot of all of those mental control games that are played. Um, And long story short, it was to allow an individual, a victim of abuse, to uh, separate from their cell family plan. So again, something that normal people never really think about, never take, you know, uh, a step to, to, you know, they take for granted. You're in a contract, a family contract on a cell plan, and twofold. One, the individual has that over you, um, and they can also use the find my iPhone or find my, you know, the proximity to find them. So we had actually had examples where individuals, the perpetrators, had tracked down um, the victims, even if mm-hmm. they were staying in a shelter or something like that, using that proximity. So it enabled the individual to break from the family plan and also turn off those features with no questions asked. And that's the other component to it. But it is all of those little mental games and control pets. Pets are another thing. Our York County SPCA does a great job in which they'll take, they'll shelter your pet, your family pet. Mm -hmm. Because again, we found that victims and perpetrators have used that uh, family dog or cat uh, as a reason to bring the victim back into the household. Um, So again, I think one of the greatest... um, solutions to this or, or the, the one of the greatest saving graces is to get that individual out of that circumstance as soon as humanly possible. Absolutely. And it really is life or death in some cir- situations. So when you broke free, were there, were there services that you relied upon? Were there providers? Was it just family, faith? You, you know, what, how did you pick up the pieces and move on? I think it was faith. And also, as I was crying in my pillow, and he was sleeping soundly, I thought of, I could just put the pillow over his face. Mm. And I'm like, Jennifer, he's not worth you going to jail. So it became a me versus him. And But we were still stuck in um, our rent agreement. I didn't want to lose a deposit. Right. So financial right. issues are the main reason why many people stay. But woke up one morning and just... Things just seemed to go together. But no one knew. My parents, family, friends, no one suspected that I was, I kept everything quiet. And I was stationed in Washington State. My family is here in York, Pennsylvania. Now, granted, I have friends there, but everyone just believed that what I said, everything was okay. So what propelled was I suspected him of cheating. And to me, that was throwing salt on the wound. I believe if it wasn't for that, I probably would have stayed longer. But that's what got me out of the situation. And then that's when I found out about the statistics. And I was like, oh, my goodness, I'm not alone. Mm-hmm. I have no reason to feel ashamed and guilty. And that's what many victims, they, they stay. They feel guilty. They feel ashamed, especially if they have children. That's tough as it is. Mm-hmm. So I think what saved me is because he was cheating, his attention was able to go elsewhere 
while I was able to make an escape and start fresh and new. So for an individual out there right now, um, are there signs that you would encourage um, individuals to be aware of to spot abusive activity? So, and maybe it's even in a workplace setting. So if you think of, you know, whatever the employment setting is throughout your county, um, obviously you develop relationships, friendships with your coworkers. Um, You know, are there telltale signs, so to speak, that individuals should be attuned to, um, and then how would you suggest a person approach that if they, you know, if that's an awkward conversation? How do they raise that to their peer, to their friend, to their coworker, um, and how do they help them find those services need be? When I was with my ex-boyfriend out in public, I didn't smile a lot. I was Mm. more, you know, the chauffeur or what have you. He was the center of the attention Um, I changed the way I dressed. Again, I was isolated um, for the most part from my friends. And in my Navy job, I stayed later because I didn't want to. Exactly. So the person, the I, when I speak to military leaders, I tell them these things that they need to observe and just to have the open dialogue. I wish somebody would have did that for for me while I was going through it is to know about the statistics and that it's okay. And when you think about the LGBT community being more open in the service, our military leaders definitely have to be wise and have that open discussion because how can a man come to their male su- their supervisor and say, I'm being abused by another man, or a woman saying, I'm being abused by another woman? So that's why our armed forces, they have to take a proactive start support and have that open dialogue so that our service members are not suffering in silence. And so out of my ordeal birthed my passion. So I took that pain and turned it into passion. And I, you know, speak on it. And then I wrote my book, Tomorrow My Sunshine Will Come, Memories of Women Who Survived Domestic Violence. That's incredible. Um so tell me a little bit about your passion now. So who who do you speak to normally, um, and and what are you typically counseling them? I actually speak to corporate leaders, um, even trans, uh, public school transportation, like bus drivers, because they could be the um, right. first responders right. to children. Um, I speak to sh- churches, shelters. Matter of fact, I have an event October 28th at the First Baptist Church of Glen Arden, mm-hmm. which is a huge church in Maryland. They have a red flag conference, and I'm their keynote speaker. Uh, matter of fact, last year I was a keynote speaker for York Access. Um, so October, it, I stay busy. Um, but that's there's everyone needs to be educated about domestic violence. So it doesn't matter. I'm developing a curriculum, and I'm about to teach sessions at a domestic violence shelter because it's one thing to provide a roof over their head clothing on their back and food, but how do they pick up the pieces? How do they begin to heal? And that's one of my passions is to help people learn how to heal so that they don't repeat the process again. And I'll say real quickly is I discovered a journey of acknowledging, restoring, and then ultimately forgiving. If you don't acknowledge what you've been through and you continue to suppress You'll find your uh, the victim will find themselves in another 
relationship, different person, but same right. outcome. Right. That has to change. And then restoring, I know for me, I had to look myself in the mirror and say, Jennifer, you are beautiful. Jennifer, you are worthy. Jennifer, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And then ultimately, the forgiving is the hardest part, but I had to forgive myself. You know, how could this combat veteran flying combat missions in three different wars, traveling all over the place, breaking down barriers and stereotypes, find yourself in this horrible situation, this nightmare. And then eventually I forgave my abuser. I didn't reach out to him and shake his hand and say, hey, so-and-so, I forgive you. But I put it in my mind and my heart. I prayed about it. And it was like a weight of the world released off of my shoulders. Mm -hmm. That forgiveness is not so much for them, but it's for me. And I think that's what helped propel me to move forward in this journey of speaking and doing what I'm doing. So along the lines of doing what you're doing, um, if you were advising a community, an organization, an employer, um, what are things that, that as a community, whatever that may be, whether it's employees, whether it's uh, you know, a, a population, um, what can that community do to raise awareness and to heighten the level of support for victims of domestic violence? I would say if there's a public access station, put a PSA out there. What you all are doing right now is phenomenal. Just talking about it and that it can't just be October. Right. I have nothing wrong against breast cancer, you know, but the marketing with the pink ribbon is everywhere. You can't deny it. And then you have your NFL players. They got pink cleats, <laughs> pink gloves, pink right. everything. But truth be told, many of them are abusers. Right. And I'm like, they need to be wearing purple. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and people don't even know that this is also Anti-Bullying Awareness Month, and that color is blue. Right, and I think it's, uh, I don't have data in front of me, but I know data would support that it, that abusive relationships and abusers and the practice of abuse can be generationally inherited. Absolutely. Um, so are there things that we can do to ensure the next generation that, that we, we break the, the stigma and we break the statistics? What can we be doing to help our young people? Our teachers need to look for the signs from the children when they're angry, when the outbursts, that they're not, let's not label them automatically ADD or put some diagnosis on them. What is going home that they, what's going on in their home that they have so much rage? I truly believe that when a child grows up in a dysfunctional, violent atmosphere, they will 90% of the time grow up to be the abuser, the victim, or commitment phobic. So many people don't realize, well, why can't so uh, Johnny be in a long-term relationship? Maybe Johnny, after six months, he breaks it off. and mm -hmm. you, you don't see it coming. And Johnny maybe is afraid of which one is he going to be, the victim or the abuser. And he knows that he has anger issues. Um, so teachers, bus drivers, look at the signs of the child. They will show it. They don't know how to speak it, but they will show it in their behaviors. And then we also have to have stronger legislation dealing with the abuser. And many times the victim will go back 
And it takes six to seven times for a victim to leave their abuser, but they're not even safe at that point because they're stalking, they're threatening. And when you have a court order, that thin piece of paper doesn't mean anything to an abuser who knows he's losing control. So the dialogue has to be more than just October. If I can offer any advice, and then our spiritual leaders, they need to come out of those four walls of that church and get involved. And that it's happening right in their church. How can you minister to a group of people and tell them, oh, they can succeed and pursue their passion and do what God wants them to do or whoever their their God is, their creator, but then you don't give them resources. And they say, amen, hallelujah, all that sermon, but then they have to worry about, if I don't cook dinner just the way he likes it, I know I'm going to get that hot food thrown back at me and I'm going to end up with a black eye and worse. That's what they're thinking about while they're sitting in that pew. So I think, you know, if there's any takeaway today, it's the statistics of one in four and one in seven, um, and that this is happening. It is routine, unfortunately, but the only, you know, one of the significant steps forward in breaking this cycle that we're in is talking about it, having the open dialogue, destigmatizing it, and building a community of support. And that's really what what we're talking about. And, and that's a community of support that lasts well beyond the month of October. Absolutely. It's a great call to action. It's a good call to education and awareness, but obviously there's 11 other months throughout the year where we know it's happening and where those victims are going back to that household. So, Absolutely, Kevin. Um, again, I just can't thank you all enough for bringing this to, to the forefront. Um, York Access is a dynamic organization, YWCA. They do so much but again, it's that dialogue. And for friends and family who suspect, try and build a safety plan. That's critical. And even if the person doesn't want to listen, they think that they're going to be okay, try and develop a safety plan for them. But the worst thing you can do is ridicule a person and make them feel less than and saying, you're stupid, you're dumb, why do you stay? You know he's no good for you, he's doing that. Or she, mm -hmm. because men get abused as well. And it's hard for them to speak up to say, I need help. But a safety plan, start making copies of your driver's license, birth certificate, stash some clothes away, stash some money away. Mm -hmm. Help that person, but be compassionate. Abusers, I tell people when I speak, they don't have a neon uh, light flashing <laughs> above their head saying, hey, I just whipped up on my last five girlfriends. You're going to be number six. How about that movie? You want to see Sleeping with the Enemy? Mm -hmm. It doesn't work <laughs> that way. So, yeah. So we want to remind our listeners, obviously, the support services provided by the York YWCA and Access York, 1-800-262-8444. Um, There's also the Pennsylvania Coalition Against Domestic Violence. Uh, so we would encourage our listeners, our business community, um, support PCAD, support uh, their efforts, certainly the YWCA. There's also the It's On Us campaign, um, which is uh, to end sexual assault particularly sexual assault on campuses. We know that that's a problem uh, that exists uh, on, on effectively all c college campuses across our country. Um, but we know that it is diminishing, hopefully, and we know with more concentrated effort and more men taking that pledge to be part of the solution. So Jennifer Foxworthy, inspirationally speaking, we appreciate 
you telling your story today. We appreciate you surviving to tell your story Amen. and getting out of that. But we're not letting you off the hook that easy. So uh, we do have a bit of a, we didn't tell you about this one. We do have a bit of a lightning round of just purely for the sake of pleasure uh, uh, <laughs> questions that we're going to throw at you in lightning round rapid fire. Yes, I'm focused. Okay, you, you ready? Yes. All right, what is your guilty pleasure food? Ice cream. If caught singing in the shower, what are you singing? Uh, Taylor Swift, Shake It Off. Nicely done. Uh, pasta or meatloaf? Oh, boy. Meatloaf. Uh, woman after my own heart. Yes. Uh, what is your hidden creative talent? Telling jokes. All right. What was your very first vehicle? A Ford um, Escort. Oh, that's not bad. That's... It's better than others. Actually, no, it was a Geo Metro. I'm sorry. No, it was a red. (laughs) Yeah, it was a red four door Geo Metro. Nicely done. Um, Favorite movie? Glory with Denzel Washington and Morgan Freeman. And given it is the month of October right now, what's your favorite Halloween candy? Snickers. All right. And because you are 21.7 years Navy veteran, Air Force or Marine? Marines. There you go. Ladies and gentlemen, Jennifer, thank you. A harrowing, a heroic, a tremendous story. Thank you for telling it today, but thanks for sharing it uh, and preaching it throughout our community and certainly raising the level of awareness uh, to the scourge that does exist in our community. And you are a stunning individual inside and out. So thank you so very much for being with us today. My absolute pleasure. And National Coalition Against Domestic Violence, 1-800-SAFE. That's 1-800-7233. You are not alone. Get the help that you deserve and need and heal and move forward. Thank you all so very much. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Weiss EA podcast series produced by Bold Creative Media. For more information, visit us on our website at www.ycea-pa.org or call us anytime and talk to one of our experienced staff members at 717-848-4000. And always remember to start here.